right, everybody. Happy Friday. I hope everybody had a safe and amazing 4th of July. I don't, I don't know where you live, but where I live, it was, uh, where I was anyway, for the 4th of July. It was a, just a spectacular day. The weather was unbelievable, and it was, uh, it was the, the perfect day for, for the 4th of July, and we had a fantastic time, so I hope you all did too. So, uh, obviously expecting not too many questions this week given it a holiday week and not much going on in markets people are kind of doing their thing so um i don't have a long podcast tonight but we'll we'll answer the questions that we do have and at least those folks who wanted something answered will get it answered for them so uh the first thing we're talking about is obviously the market fell today because this is this is the perversity of markets so the market was worried the economy was weakening and that because the economy was weakening, the Fed's going to cut rates. So that's what they were hoping was going to happen. A, a weakening economy, so the Fed cuts rates. So we get a jobs report today that blows estimates out of the water. Almost almost 40 to 50% higher than, than most estimates. And that diminishes the chances of a rate cut because it would appear the economy isn't actually weakening as much as people thought. And so the market sells off because you won't get rate cuts. Right? So it's the old... Bad news is good news, but because the bad news wasn't bad, it was good, we get bad news because the good news would have been a rate cut. It's just, it makes no sense. Uh, so, you know, I've always thought it's best to completely ignore one day market swings on a rate cut day or rate not cut day or any day that uh, the Fed's in focus and focus on the longer term, which is uh, markets will rise in an improving economy. That's, that's just the bottom line. It's that simple. Uh, they will not rise in a straight line from lower left to upper right, but they will rise in a jagged line with up days and down days and some large down days and some large up days. But as long as the economy is improving, which it is, right? The jobs numbers, you can't, you don't have improving economies of weakening job numbers. Um, I think that, um, and the other, the other economic data we've had out in the last week has supported that. Um, that the markets will rise over time. So, you know, again, if you're a day trader playing the Fed and stuff like that, that's one thing. But if you're investing in companies for the longer term, then um, what happens on days like this should be pretty meaningless to you uh, unless something you own is caught up in a sell-off and you're able to pick up more uh, of it at a cheaper price. And you know what? If you can do that, good. Um, so... Podcast questions. Here we go. Number one, you mentioned that you do not do screening for stocks. Then how do you find good securities? To be more specific, how do you find the great ideas of VPG, IIPR, TPL, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac? I remember that you said you read Value Line to look for ideas. Could you be more specific on what you do to get from reading Value Line? Buffett also said you have to turn over a lot of rocks to find these little anomalies. You have to find the companies that are off the map, way off the map. However, time is limited every day. After I spend the majority of my day to read the news and reports, I still don't know which one is way off the map. How do you develop the sense to quickly identify the gem? Okay, so a couple parts to that question. Um, and this is a part, of a, part of the post I did uh, earlier this week about value investing not being dead was that a lot of people tend to just simply say uh, value investing is about low price to book, low PE stocks. So I would take all the low PE stocks, all the low price to book stocks, and put them in a basket, and that's what value investors buy. And that's not going to perform that well. And the answer to that is, well, you can't 
and I've always said this for years now, I've never found an accurate quote unquote screener for value stocks because just because a stock has a low PE ratio doesn't mean it's a value stock. Um, it could have gotten a, could have, so you gotta think of how you report earnings, right? If you sell an asset and were to gain on an asset, right? You record a one year gain in, a, in an asset sale, then your price to earnings ratio is gonna drop. But that's not your normalized earnings. That's what, that's what the normalized earnings are of the company. So the next year, when earnings go back to normal levels because you don't report that one-time gain, then all of a sudden now, your P-E ratio rises to the normal level and you don't get any bump on the stock from the low P-E ratio. And flip it the other way. You have a large asset right down one year, your P-E ratio goes through the roof, right? So maybe instead of $2 in earnings on a $20 stock, which is 10 P-E, it drops down to you know, 25 cents a share. Now you're looking at a 40 PE. Go, oh, that's a growth stock. Well, it's not growing, so don't buy it. Well, the reality is that it's neither. It's a one-time anomaly in earnings. And the same thing happens to your book value too, right? Um, you know, if you're a, 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 and I go through the, the example of retail companies, you can get one-time anomalies in stocks and value stocks that distort ratios, distort price to earnings, price of book, price of sales. And that doesn't, you can't capture that in a screen. No screen that I've ever seen can actually capture that. The only way to go through that is to find ideas in value stocks and sectors that are ignored and, and in, in what some of my biggest successes have been in, you know, either, you know, GGP was a bankruptcy situation that any stock screen anywhere would have said that's not a value. People looked at the liabilities. The liabilities were bigger than the quoted assets, right? Chapter 11, this company's going away. Right, and no screen in the world would have captured what saved GGP, non-recourse debt. Right, non-recourse debt said that whatever debt you have on this asset, this mall, is tied to that mall and nothing else. So the lenders could not take anything more than an individual mall, and they would have taken it at a steep discount to what they held the debt on the books, which means huge write-downs, which means huge losses for the for the debt holder. So what they do? They had forced to refinance. When they refinance, GGP was made whole shareholders made a boatload of money. There is no screen on this earth that would have captured that scenario. Okay? Even if you look at ACAS, same thing. Um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, there's no screen that's going to capture that opportunity. IIPR is just simply looking at an area that is underserved in the market, right? Publicly traded rates for the cannabis industry. There's only a few private ones, to be honest with you. So this is an industry growing leaps and bounds. They need this thing. They need these warehouses, they need this ability to grow indoors in the winter, and medical cannabis specifically needs to be grown indoors. So it's not, you know, it, it needs to be grown in a pure environment so you get in the most, whatever specific detail you're looking for in the cannabis, it needs to be grown indoors to be controlled. You can maximize it inside. It's not exposed to the elements, to the sun, pollution, et cetera, et cetera. It has to be grown indoors. So that was simply finding a REIT or a, a, a need for an industry that was not currently there. It was the only one there. And then it was good. Then you go through the process of now you're looking at management. Okay, how good is management? Does the manager have an experience in this REIT? Is their past experience good? This group ran Biomed Realty, which is specialty REIT in the medical space. It's really no different than what they're doing now, right? Instead of instead of selling a REIT for someone making pills, they're they're making a REIT to provide housing for someone who makes pot. It's the same thing, just a different product. It's the same roadmap, and they had great returns for that before they were finally bought out. They're doing the exact same thing here they did there. So it's just finding a need. So when it comes to value, when it comes to value line, okay, 
I get it in the mail. It usually comes on a Friday, some Monday. It'll probably come tomorrow because of the holiday this week. Everything's screwed up for a day. I just go through the small makeup survey and go through page by page each week. Um, I don't pay attention to the one or two stars um, in there. Um, you know, those are more timing things I feel. And, you know, sometimes I find things that are one or two stars and sometimes I find things that aren't even ranked by them. And I think this is a really good investment. This has the potential to be something fantastic. So, um, and you know, the star system can change. There are times, star system can change. There are times where I've bought, you know, something that's not even ranked. And then two issues later, it turns out to be a, a two star ranking or a one star ranking. So it, it changes. And that's why I don't pay much attention to it. So I just go through. And the first thing I look at is I look at the balance sheet. I look at the numbers on the top of the screen, on uh, the top of the page. It kind of gives the company's history for however long they've been out, where the stock is traded, what they've done financially, you know, earnings estimates each quarter, actuals each quarter, and things like that. And if that all looks decent, I just tear the page out and put it aside. And I go through the whole book. And sometimes I go through a book and I'll have absolutely nothing. Uh, sometimes I go through an issue and I'll tear out 10 pages. Well, after I tear out those pages, I take those 10 companies that look good and I went through and I just I just go through and I just look at each one. That's when I start doing the deeper research in each company. You know, I go to the company's website, see what they're all about, you know, because sometimes I don't know. They give a, a general, a precision parts maker. Well, that really doesn't give any detail as far as what they actually do. So I'll go to the company's website, I'll see what they do, and then I start going through SEC filings and I just keep digging. And if it keeps looking good, I keep going deeper. If it stops looking good and looks kind of iffy, go on to the next one. And, you know, sometimes you don't find anything. And, you know, if you go through one issue of Value Line, you're probably looking at, what, 30, 40, 50, 60 companies each week. Um, maybe you find five or six to do deeper on. And of those five or six, most weeks I don't find anything that I like. You know, sometimes I'll find something that looks decent. Like, you know, I need to give this a quarter or two. So I'll set myself a little reminder to check it. Uh, in a quarter or two to to see what's coming up and see what's happening with it. So, um, and that's how I do that. And you just read the paper. So right now, everybody hates energy, right? Energy is this, energy is that. Oil prices are never going to go back up. Um, there's now there's now we're we're a wash in oil, whereas four years ago we were at peak oil, and you know just every every energy sector um, article and commentary out there is negative. Um, so obviously that's an area that piques my interest, right? Um, in 2008, 2009, 2010, we bought Bank of America. Everyone hated Bank of America. You couldn't find a positive article on that company if that's all you did all day for week was try and find one. They just weren't out there, right? Everyone hated Bank of America. <coughs> and that's what drove the stock price down. So obviously that was some place where I looked because I thought to myself, if everyone hates it, the price of it's going to be far below what it's actually worth because it's hated. And then I'm going to find value in it if it's if what they're saying about it's not true. Turns out very little of it was actually true. You know, they were saying that, you know, consumers hate a Bank of America. No one wanted to bank with them. But every every quarter they grew deposits year over, year over year. And how do you do that if people hate your bank, right? If people are leaving your bank, you shouldn't be having increasing deposits. But Bank of America did. And, you know, I don't want to, I could spend a four-hour podcast going into the details of what happened with the, um, uh, what happened with, um, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. What happened with uh, the legal suits and stuff like that, but we all know the outcome of that. So um, so that's how you do it. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily, it's way off the map with a small and mid-cap company. So you can find a company that's in great shape and has one or two analysts following it, you could have yourself a gold mine because no one knows about it yet. 
And if they keep performing well and keep growing the way they can grow, then when these analysts, then when more analysts are coming, it gets more coverage, the price is going to go up. So um, it's just, there's, you know, it's, I guess, so I guess think about it, like, I know guys that do charts, right? And, you know, they look at me and say, my God, what you do is so hard. How do you find these things? How do you find these things to invest in, da, da, da. And I, like, I go chart guys, so they'll go through 100, 150 charts a day. To me, that's exhausting. I mean, I, I'd rather try and uncover a sit back and relax, comfortable cup of coffee in the morning, sit down and read some 8Ks and read some <laughs> 10Ks and try and find a value company versus sitting there going after to chart after chart after chart after chart. It's just, it's what your temp temperament is and where your personality lies in finding things. So, but everyone's got to search. If you're only, you know, if you're only going after the top companies in the S&P or something like that, you're only going to do what that ever does. So, and, and Warren has said that um, countless times. Um, if Treasury plan comes out and Fannie Mae, uh, Freddie Mac's preferred price moves to 70% apart, do you plan to sell a portion of shares and then later sell all of them once it moves the rest apart? What is the price you plan to sell your commons at? I don't have an answer to that question because I don't know. I don't know the plan. And until I know the plan, um, I'm not going to pigeonhole myself into selling at a certain price. I'm not going to tell myself that if it hits 65% apart, 70% apart, I'm going to sell it the second it does that. Because what if the plan is they're going to convert apart? Why would I leave 30% on the table if they're going to start the offering, start the Q1 next year? Why would I leave that much money on the table for, you know, five, six months later? I wouldn't do it. So, you know, if they, if they jump to 90% apart instantly, then maybe you start having that conversation with yourself. You know, well, you know, no plans 100%, but you're basically there now and maybe you do something there. But, um, you know, it it's all depends on what the plan says and what the reception to the plan is and things like that. So... And again, the common stock, again, it all comes down to the plan. So, you know, I can't, I'm not going to look and say, um, you know, I'm just going to do it based on this price. It's it's not the price that determines what I do. It's the price relative to what's happening with the company. Can you please comment on the dropout of Apple designer Johnny Ivey? Do you think the growth of Apple was slowed down significantly due to continued lack of innovation? I don't think so. I mean, John, from what I've read, Johnny Ivey has really been sort of, figurehead at Apple for a number of years. Um, so I'm not overly convinced that Apple's going to suffer because obviously there's been a team of people or a group of people or somebody doing what he used to do and sort of taking his place in that aspect. So, uh, and, you know, Apple's a services subscription business. They're selling hardware also, but uh, their dependency on, you know, they used to be all about the iPod and that's basically gone now. Um, and it's different things and they'll continue to innovate and they're still producing more cash than they know what to do with. So I'm not overly concerned about Apple. I think anytime a high ranking member of a, a company leaves, especially someone who's as well known as him, there's a, a level of concern about what's coming next, but I'm, I'm not overly concerned about it. Um, I've heard the turnover rate of Mike Burry's portfolio is about six months. Can you please comment on this short turnover rate with that of yours and Buffett's does it matter? I don't, I don't, I don't honestly know what Burry's is, you know, I don't, I can't comment on what he does. I think, you know, it depends on what you're looking for in the investments you make. If you're looking for a 10 to 15% jump in investment and you want to get out, if it makes it in two weeks or six months or eight months, then they get out. Um, you know, it's, I, 
I, if the company is performing to where I think it's performing, and I think it's undervalued based on that performance, there's no reason for me to sell it unless I find something better and need the cash to invest in it. I guess that's what it is. You know, it's like if I'm going to buy something, I think it has to be a better idea. So if I have, for instance, I have ten. If I have ten ideas I love, you know, then if I want to buy my eleventh idea, I think that it, then it has to be a better idea than number ten. You know, if it's not, then why buy something just to buy something to diversify? Well, you may be diversifying away from diversifying away from extra gains that you that you could have lost. So, um, how to differentiate differentiate value trap and deep value stocks? To my knowledge, value, growth, and quality are the three elements for any stock. Value trap is the one with almost no growth or negative growth, normally due to, to growth constraint of significant debt and low quality. Am I right? How about GECHKVRX currently is BHC? Value Place does not invest in VRX, but I know Acker made a huge mistake in it and Paulson is still in it, right? Yeah. So, okay. So I think if you're looking at a deep value stock, um, and this is, and every, I think every, the problem here is every value investor is going to have certain different opinions as to what that is uh, and what constitutes that. I mean, if you, you, if you watch CNBC for a couple of days and, or just go to CNBC videos and big value investor, you're going to have 10 guys on all with a certain different metric for their value stock is, right? So this may be what I think it is. You may talk to Ford and say, no, that's not what it is. This is what it is. And it's all really opinion, um, which is why I think value investing, I think, is pigeonholed into things that it's really not. Um, but value trap and a deep, a deep value stock, in, in my mind, is an undervalued stock that's just not followed. You know, um, like GE can't be a deep value stock. It's too heavily followed. There's too many analysts on it. You could argue that VPG is a deep value stock. Uh, because there's one or two analysts that follow it. Um, when we got into ACAS, there was a handful of analysts that followed it. It was a, I looked at it as a deep value stock, and I think it's just a, a differentiation between the, you know, if if I say this is a value stock or I say this is a deep value stock, then I think the implication is the upside is much higher um, in a deep value stock, and maybe your time frame is a little longer. Uh, or maybe it's less known. So, you know, I, my personal opinion is anything I say is a deep value stock is just because no one knows about it. Nobody follows it. You could mention it to 20 people and they'd be like, I have no idea what the company is. I guess that's what makes a deep value stock. And a value trap simply is, it typically has to do with debt or a no growth company. You know, but companies cannot grow for a couple of years because of specific issues. Um, and that doesn't mean they're not a value stock or a value trap. You know, GGP wasn't growing uh, when we invested in it. ACAS wasn't growing when we invested in it. Um, you know, uh, Kinder Morgan wasn't growing when we invested in it. They were shrinking that portfolio. Williams was shrinking that portfolio, selling assets. So you know, they were, they were, they were, you know, year over year they were growing in the assets that remained, but on their top line they weren't growing because they were selling assets to raise money to pay off debt. So that growth issue is kind of a tricky one. You do need growth eventually in any value stock to realize that value, right? Otherwise, it just stays cheap forever. Um, but, you know, for a short period of time or for some period of time, you may not have growth, um, but that's why you have to look deeper. So if you were just looking at Kinder Morgan's reported revenue numbers or Williams reported revenue numbers, it would look like they were going down or staying flat for two years. Well, the reality was that it was they were staying flat 
despite asset sales. So the underlying key, key business was getting better every year. So there was growth there. It just wasn't on the report of top line numbers. And so that gets that gets to a tricky kind of scenario. You got to see like, you know, what are you looking for? Where are you? think that the growth is coming from and when they finish these asset sales uh, is that core business going to keep growing and if it is then you're good uh, the debt situation is also tricky and, and I gave the the post I did this week I gave the example of retailers you know people looked at Sears and I was as guilty as this as others and and I always expected Lampert to monetize the real estate in a much larger and faster way than he did and he never did that and that was always a very frustrating thing um, uh, that, you know, people look at the assets and the liabilities and say, oh, they have $8 billion in assets. These are just giving you examples. $6 billion in liabilities are good, you know, but $5.5 billion of that asset is inventory, okay? Uh, this is where it gets dangerous because a company that's in trouble needs to raise money. So they're either going to raise money two ways. They're going to either... Um, go out and get more credit lines to raise money, or they're gonna hold shoe sales, you know, 60% off, 70% off. Well, if you have inventory valued at 5 billion and you're selling it at 70% off, that inventory is not worth 5 billion, right? If you have to go out and raise money for more cash, right? And part of the um, contingencies in the debt is that it's tied to, it's tied to your inventory. So if you go, if you just default on that debt, that debt collector gets first dibs on your inventory. Well, now that inventory is not available for shareholders anymore, right? It's gone. Because then you're, you're looking at inventories and assets and liabilities in a worst case scenario. Well, in that worst case scenario, you lose that inventory or percentage of inventory or a percentage of the asset base that's in real estate, something like that. So you then have to figure out somebody to deduct that ask that what you think is an asset, which is no longer an asset for shareholders anymore, that goes into the debt holders column. Well, now what's left? And will that cover that? And if it won't, then you might have trouble. So, and th which is again, which is why I say there's no, no screen alive is going to capture any of this stuff. And you can't do any screens for value investing. So that's where we are with that. Um, what else? I know I have a huge mistake. Paul's still in. I, I don't know what's going on with Valiant. Um, I don't follow it anymore. So, you know, I don't think GE is a a value trap. GE's GE has bottomed is going to be on the way up from now on. The new CEO is, a, is an amazing CEO. They got the right leader. He's doing the right things. He's been ahead of everything with Wall Street. He's he's pre if there was bad news, he was pre-announcing it. Um, and so now, and the analysts believe him because he said, "Hey, we're going to come up this short," and they came up that short. Hey, what cash flow is going to be this? It was that. Um, so now, when he says we're going to do A, B, and C. It's getting believed. That's why you've seen the stock, you know, kind of bottom out to that $7 level and it's climbed up pretty significantly from there. And I think they're on on the right side up. Uh, same thing with Chesapeake. You know, the CEO's done everything he can. Uh, you know, they're tied to oil and natural gas prices, but they are the low-cost driller and that is going to take some time to convince Wall Street. Um, they still have some asset sales they could pull off to lower that debt load, which would, again, lower interest payments, which would then get them their free cash flow positive much sooner. And I think that's going to happen also. Um, I know it's taken longer than I thought it would, Chesapeake, but I'm no less convinced into the event of the eventual upside in it than I was a couple of years ago. And you know what? If you get a large-scale spike in oil, you're going to get a spike in the stock. So um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still very comfortable um, owning both of those. So 
Um, let me see. Next question. Next question. Next question. Um, if nothing happens by July twelfth or nineteenth, what about Fannie? Well, it's so. Here's the thing. Calabria has done everything he said he wanted to do, right? He he. This is his. He's not going to just not present a plan, right? He 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 has said this before. He was the director of FHFA that they need to come out of conservatorship. That the network sweep was basically a theft. He said he said that in writings. Um, as confirmation, he said every single speech about the GSEs. He said they have to come out of conservatorship, and even every single speech he's given, not about the GSEs. He's talked about bringing them out of conservatorship. He's mentioned it every single time he's done every public appearance. He's not going to just not mention it anymore. It's not just going to fall off his radar. So that being said, at some point, the plan is going to come out. Now, whether it takes a week or two weeks or three extra weeks to nail down a plan that everybody's comfortable with, everyone wants to move forward on, whatever. It takes three or four weeks extra. Um, the point is that there is something coming. Right? There's some plan to get the medical conservatorship down the road. You know, there was an article, and today someone said that Trump might scrap the plan. And, and honestly, to me, that article is the biggest bunch of crap because it's all based on conjecture. Well, yeah, Trump could. could I mean, he could. Yeah, no kidding, he could. But the, 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 you know, there was no evidence, no fact, no basis that he was going to do anything like that. And Trump has not backed down from a fight with Congress over anything. So the, the implication of the article was that if... You know, Congress objected or two, and she would just scrap it. No, he, the guy loves the fight. He lives for this shit. You could argue too much so. So if Congress said, no, we're not going to do this, or the, the Democrats in Congress said, we can't do this, well, he's more than happy to fight with them, say, Obama stole this money, da da da, da. You know, whatever he wants, true or not, whatever he wants to say, he could say it. So I don't, I don't buy that at all. And it uh, appears pretty obvious to me that... Um, uh, the market didn't give it too much weight today. I mean, you know, the, the common was down two cents. The preferreds were, you know, all the preferreds were up, the ones that we own anyway. So, you know, I'm I'm not overly concerned about uh, uh, about that. So, you know, it's it's the way I look at it. We've waited what four years now, maybe five years. Uh, I'm more than happy to wait a couple extra weeks to get the to get the outcome I wanted uh, versus him rushing out a plan. Um, half-baked, half-finished, not really agreed to by everybody, and then having, you know, it become a shit show and, and having it take, you know, or not getting it done at all because we are up against an auction year next year. <clears throat> so, you know, take your time, do it right, and um, we'll get it done. So um, what else? There's one, one about TPL in the last questions I forgot about. Oh, TPL, how do I find TPL? Actually, I get ideas sent to me from subscribers all the time and um that was one that was an idea that uh got sent to me by a subscriber um talked to him about it uh looked into it fell in love with it thought it was an amazing idea and um ended up investing in it so yeah that was that was an easy one for me so well i mean uh that's not really what i'm trying to say um it wasn't. It wasn't easy to. It was easy to find because it's kind of put into my lap. I still had to do the normal work and stuff like that. So, 
Uh, but it was, yeah, it was, that was, that's, I mean, ideas come from everywhere all the time. It's just, you know, not feeling um, obligated to invest in every idea, you know, and there's some ideas, <coughs> honestly, there's some ideas you get that just kind of sit there and maybe you don't like them now, but then a year from now, something happens you're like, oh my God, I remember this idea. I, you know, I talked to so-and-so about it. Or I remember reading about this and just didn't think it was great at the time or I didn't have, you know, like I said before, it wasn't better than my worst idea. You know, it wasn't my, this 11th idea wasn't better than my 10th best idea. And now maybe your 10th best idea kind of crapped the bed on you and you want to get rid of it. And you remember this stock, so you go back to it. You're like, oh, you know what? This actually makes a lot of sense right now. I kind of like it. So that's what happened, you know, was, that happens all the time. So um, let me see. I don't think there's any other questions. And this actually went a little longer than I thought it was going to go. So um that's where i'm at today not many questions but i didn't expect many with a a holiday in the middle of the week so i hope everybody has a fantastic rest of your weekend i hope it's a safe and healthy weekend for everybody and everybody you know and uh, i will be back next friday with another one and please send in whatever questions you may have and hopefully by next friday we're talking about the gse plan um and if we're not then maybe it'll be the week after but it'll happen at some point in time and uh we can go from there and and, uh, and hopefully make a ton of money in these things. So have a great one, everybody.